While most of us do our jobs stationary and on the ground, fighter pilots do theirs above the clouds, well over the speed of sound. And at that speed, if something goes wrong, they need a reliable method of getting out quickly. The ejection seat is this method, shooting the pilot from the plane and descending with a parachute. However, escaping an exploding wreck by launching oneself even faster has several health complications, potentially causing permanent injury. But hey, it's better than dying. Today we discover the fascinating history of ejection seats. I'm your host Ryan Sokash and you're watching It's History. In the early days of aviation, there was no solid idea for an escape method. However, there was indeed a move towards it as far back as 1910. Back then, a primitive exit system typically involved a bungee cord. The time without an ejector seat was short-lived, however, as on September the 22nd, 1916, 13 years after the Wright brothers' first flight, a British engineer patented the Compressed Air Parachute Extraction System. This system launched the parachute using compressed air, and the pilot followed shortly thereafter, thanks to his hinged seat. As World War I came about, escape methods remained around the idea of simply bailing from the aircraft with a parachute. Nothing more. Pilots and balloonists carried parachutes in case something occurred, at which point they would jump out. During that conflict and the interwar period, planes were slower and cockpits were limited to just a front windshield, so unhooking the seat harness and jumping out the side was really pretty feasible. However, there were some problems. For example, if the damage to the plane affected the pilot in any incapacitating manner, bailing became much more difficult or even impossible. G-force from a steep descent also posed a challenge, and this is to say nothing of the frequent lack of space in the cockpit in the first place. Regardless, pilots managed to jump clear from their crashing aircraft with enough regularity that there was really no need to fix what already worked. But with the Second World War, as aircraft became much faster and cockpits evolved to encase the pilot in glass, the world's air forces needed a better escape method. Gunpowder ejection seats began production in Sweden under the company Saab, and Nazi Germany followed suit with an experimental fighter. The ejection involved manually launching the canopy, then activating explosive bolts to shoot parts of the plane away. Yet some elements in the German Nazi Air Force mentioned that these escape systems prompted some doubt. Speaking of, Nazi Germany was the first nation to use jet-powered aircraft in warfare, as jets were much faster and more volatile than propeller-powered aircraft, they needed ejection seats more than any other aircraft at the time. One German test aircraft and the first jet fighter, the HE-280, facilitated the first successful seat ejection using the mentioned method on January the 13th, 1942. With this, the ejection seat existed conceptually and entered into practical use. As the jet aircraft entered general military use worldwide, so did the ejection seat. Ejection seats are only really found in military aircraft, as those aircraft are most at high risk. It always makes headlines when civilian aircraft goes down, because it's so rare that when it happens, the rarity alone is worth reporting on. Bailing out, on the other hand, isn't an option with each jet's ever-climbing speeds and explosive potential. This decision to exit with an ejection seat, it isn't made lightly. In fact, it is often the last possible option when all else fails. Let me explain why. 
Disregarding the cost of a jet and focusing solely on the pilot, it's still not an ideal situation. Many modern jets operate past the speed of sound, which is 1,235 kilometers per hour, or 767 miles per hour for reference. The forces exerted on the pilot at that speed are extreme enough to cause serious injury during ejection. Specifically, when ejecting, the rocket-propelled seat exerts on average 18 g-forces on the pilot. Remember that 1g is the force of gravity on your body and is equal to your body's weight. 18 g's equals 18 times your body's weight, and an ejection seat applies all that weight in just 0.2 seconds. With all that pressure applied in just a fraction of a second, it's no wonder that around 20 to 30% of pilots that eject from jets suffer spinal fractions. These fractures tend to occur lower in the spine and often require surgery should they be unstable. Otherwise, a brace serves just fine. Studies have also shown that those sitting up straight in the seat distribute the pressure applied across the spine, instead of more relaxed posture that devotes more to a bending point. Sitting up straight in the ejection seat could reduce the risk of injury, but it's far from a guarantee. And that's not to say that all ejections inflict significant damage. Allow me to elaborate. In an ejection from an F-15 in 2021, the pilot ejected successfully and landed entirely unharmed, except for some minor soreness and bruising. It's also not uncommon for some little neck pains for a little while afterward, or some abrasions or cuts even. There was even an ejection from an F-16 in 2020 where the pilot walked away entirely unharmed, with no bruises or anything, so it varies. Regardless of the damage to the spine, these seats save lives and are undoubtedly a better option than riding out the plane to crash. When all other options fail, choosing to eject from the plane increases your odds of survival from 35% to 90%. Now we need to address some of the rumors surrounding ejection seats. For example, one of the most highly publicized is that you'll lose body height after an injury sustained by ejection. This is true, but it is relatively rare. Loss of height only occurs if vertebrae in the lower section of the spine, which is the middle part of the back, get severely damaged. For example, a 34-year-old navigator of a Tornado F3 fighter ejected after colliding with another Tornado fighter, losing part of its right wing in the process. In the ejection, his ninth vertebrae, fourth from the lowest, suffered damage, causing him to lose height in that area. After physical therapy, he was discharged from care and returned to his flying duties. Another example of loss of height comes from an F-15QA designed for Qatar, whose pilots ejected as it was rolling off the runway in 2021. The front pilot seat suffered a burst fracture in its 12th vertebrae, the lowest one. It lost 50% of its height, making the pilot lose about half an inch. Both of the pilots survived, as did the aircraft. Another rumor surrounding ejection seats is that a pilot can only eject a certain number of times before the damage to their spine becomes too great to fly. Well, this is true to a degree, but there's no set number by the US Air Force. It's all up to the surgeon, as damage from ejection varies from occurrence to occurrence, as mentioned before. Regardless, ejecting from an aircraft is exceedingly rare. Most pilots never have to, and those that do, rarely have to do it again.
In the U.S. Air Force, ejections have become rarer and rarer. Since 1978, there have been 493 ejections from ACES-2 ejection seats. Of those, only 42 died, leaving survival rates at 91%. In a study conducted with the Royal Air Force observing 232 ejections since 1990, ejection survival was 89.2%. Of that percentage, 29.4 suffered spinal fractures. Different plane models have different ejection rates. The plane with the most USAF ejections since August the 8th, 1978, was the F-16, though that might be more of a testament to popularity than anything else. 312 pilots ejected from F-16s, and only two died. The F-35A had only one ejection, the B-2 Spirit had four, and the A-10 had two ejections. No deaths. The only major exception in death rate is the U-2 spy plane, as two pilots ejected and only one survived, leaving the stats at 50% survival rates. But that's an outlier. So where do things go wrong? Let's have a closer look. Every ejection is different, and sometimes circumstances don't work out. For example, one F-16 pilot ejected in 2013, but his head was off to the side of the headrest. As a result, the wind blast forced down onto his neck and broke it. Another example occurred with an F-15 pilot in 2012. Ejection from the plane went smoothly, but he collided with an object in midair and died. Lastly, there are sometimes just freak accidents. For example, in Romania, a pilot landed safely, but his boot got stuck on the MiG-15's ejection seat lever. As he exited the cockpit, it fired. Unfortunately, he died on impact. So what lies in store for ejection seats? Well, deaths are declining. It's still not perfect. A few recommendations are thrown around within the United States Air Force, and they may clue us as to what's to come. Primarily, their main concern lies in communication. Exit training and pointing out common ejection hazards would fix many problems. Informing more people about safety tips is an excellent way to get down that death rate even further. Of course, there are some problems limited to specific plane models, such as a recommendation to qualify new seat cushions for the F-35. There's also a fine-tuning of other hardware, but nothing with the ejection seat itself. So basically, the current model, the ACES-2, appears to be here to stay. And while there may always be risks, ejection seats will always be necessary no matter what kind of risk it poses to bodily harm, that increased chance of survival is preferable to the alternative. Whatever kind of injury it is, is preferable to dying. And at the end of the day, getting out alive is the most important thing. Wouldn't you agree? Let me know your thoughts in the comments section below. Send me your episode ideas on Instagram, and don't miss our video about assault gliders. Until next time, this is Ryan Sokash, signing off.